Some days you're the bug, some days you're the windshield, and some days you just want to kick back and listen to a little Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, joined as always. I don't know what that was, but I'm joined as always by John Mariano. How you doing, John? That 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 was me trying trying to get the information for our sponsor, forgetting that the speaker <laughs> on my phone was on. Oh. Because I don't know how technology works, Corey. I'm doing great. I'm a little tired. I'm a little bit fuzzy, but I am here and I am excited to talk about this band. Well, I'm excited that you're actually looking up the sponsor copy early. So we'll go to our, our co-host, the one and only Scott K. Haskins. Scott, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Hello and welcome. To- oh, wait, wrong show. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Excited to dig into another song for uh, one of this the bands that I am greatly learning a lot of information about. Very happy. Have you been enjoying the ride so far, Scott, as you're kind of delving into the the deeper uh, dive of uh, Aerosmith here? I really have. And I'm I'm understanding so much more about their music as I understand where the band was when they were making each album, as far as the the relationships, the, you know, being in and out of, of different services for help. And uh, it, it really is shedding a lot of light on which songs I do and don't like more. Well, that's excellent. And uh, we got some eclectic songs uh, on the dice this week. But before we do that, let's kick it back to John. And he can tell us all about our good friend, Ken Knapsack. Ken Knapsack, over at the Knapsack Network, they're they're doing a show called The Blathering, where where Ken Ken does a little bit of rambling, a little bit of ranting. Um, It's it's part part joy and happiness, part anger, um, but, but a whole lot of Ken. And he's given his thoughts on society, his thoughts, his thoughts on t- taboo subjects, his thoughts, his thoughts on pizza over at Seven Eleven. He'll be he'll be sharing a lot of his thoughts and feelings. Um, but it's it's a very funny slice of life, and um, also some very poignant um, views on society today. So if you get a chance, go over to the Knapsack Network, um, follow it on a podcast feed, and listen to the bothering. And this is going to piss off John Mariano, but uh, in Canada anyway, pizza at 7-Eleven, not that bad. Uh, Scott Haskins, speaking of not that bad, let's talk about our brothers and sisters in the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. Well, I'm kind of sad all the years that I worked at 7-Eleven, I got stabbed, I got maced, but we never had pizza. And if now you I had feel pizza, cheated. you'd probably be dead. Because if they're going to stab you in Macy just over taquitos or whatever they were making at that time, pizza, you'd be a dead man right now. Yeah, but it would have been a way to go out. So over at the Deep Dive Podcast Network, we have some absolutely fantastic shows. We have Sav, Nick, Steve, and Mark at the Rock Roulette Podcast. We have Quinn at N Volume for All, Kevin and Randy at the Seaside Pod Review. The same Kevin does the Tom Petty Project. We have Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What?, we have Clay and Rye at North by South podcast. George and Hattie over at the Judas Priest cast. Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. Daniel and Josh at the Diary of the Mad Men, the Ultimate Ozzy podcast. We have Eric and Jonathan at the Maiden A to Z podcast. Andy and Matt do Hawk Binge. Paul, Joe, and David do at 
in the lap of the pods. We have Rye at Sabbath Bloody Podcast, Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side, the simple man at Skinnered Reconsidered, Nate and John at the Deep Purple Podcast. I do a little show called Your Rye Heap, the Magician's Podcast, who I just found out. I have two more very long seasons to do. So more coming at you soon. We have our own Corey does a show with Mark Kameyer called and the podcast will rock all things Van Halen and our buddies right here. John and Corey do another show called Backtracks Theme Music. Lots of great things. Just about everything you could want to hear except a Debbie Gibson podcast. Well, you know, there's still time is all I'm going to say looking at Scott Haskins. I know uh, you have a very a genuine a connection to one Debbie Gibson. So hopefully that'll happen for you, my friend. Uh, you're talking about backtracks theme music. We just recorded one, geez, about 15 minutes ago uh, on a, a song from one of your guys' favorite movie, Mallrats. That was a lot of fun. So be on the lookout for that one. But tonight we're talking Aerosmith. We're talking mixtapes. We got two of them. Uh, side A, all the deep cuts. Side B, live tracks. Side C, all time top nine. And side D is our nasty cuts. Those are any three songs we want to save uh last week of course we covered janie's got a gun live from a little south of sanity and we were so underwhelmed we didn't even put it on an empty slot on the live track side of side b of the mixtapes um kind of shocking but uh go back and listen to that episode to get our, our take on it just a little underwhelmed on that one but that means we're going back to the die here tonight and we've got six great songs to go potentially go over here uh, including Devil's Got a New Disguise, You See Me Crying, Dream On from Live Bootleg, Legendary Child, Deuces Are Wild, and I'm Down, the uh, Beatles cover from Permanent Vacation. John Mariano, uh, what kind of week you having? What are you in the mood for uh, to listen to tonight? Well, it's, we it's weird because I'm having a pretty good week. My kids, I was trying to figure it out. My kids have been binge-watching that 70s show, and this, I'm going to tie this into Aerosmith pretty quickly. Whatever season they're on um, opens with uh, they go into Eric's basement and it's all, all the boys and Ashton Kutcher's there playing Kelso. He's holding Aerosmith's live bootleg in in his hand, the the, the vinyl, and, and and convinces he pulls some pranks on them. By the way, it was so cool. Like they they're really trying to set the time and place. And they're using Aerosmith because it's, I, I guess, it's Eric's favorite band on the show. Um, so, so I thought it was really, re really just a cool bit. So, um, wanted to share that with you guys because it's they're in pop culture; they're everywhere. Well, and we have a live bootleg cut on the dice here tonight. So, uh, are you hoping we roll a little dream on here tonight? A hundred percent. It's it's one of my favorite songs of all time. It's not necessarily my favorite version of the song. Um, not to say it's a bad version of the song. It's just the the versions of the song. Like some some songs you hear live and you're like, oh, the live version's better or the studio version's better. For me, it's they're all great and it's just greater or greatest. It's like that kind of scale. It's not nothing's good. Nothing even reaches as low as good with Dream On. I hear you, Scott. What are you in the mood for here tonight? You know, I was just realizing that the two songs I have picked that are on the dice have been on there for a very long time, but I feel like we need some redemption from last week. We need a good live song to put in one of those two empty slots on the, the you know, the live side. So I'm going to vote for Dream On. 
All right. Well, guess what? That's three of us. I'm hoping we get a little dream on here tonight, too. Uh, but what do you say? Steven's warming up his pipes. Let's toss this dice. Toss of the And we come up with Dream On from Live Bootleg. There you go. You, you'd think it was rigged, but I swear to God it's not. I'll post a video. People don't believe me. We actually rolled Dream On from Live Bootleg. Uh, Scott, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, history with Dream On. I honestly can't remember a time when I did not know this song. This might be the very first Aerosmith song that I ever heard. Uh, I know we had... I think we had, I, I know we had it, I think it was the 45, and it was one that we used to play on our stereo in the living room growing up, the studio version, great song. Uh, I'm not familiar with the live version, so I, I'm going to be curious to get into it, but I can tell you the studio song is an absolute gem. Johnny, anything you want to uh, mention before we uh, play this track here tonight? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it really got on my radar with that. Like, I, I was an Aerosmith fan, but Dream On in particular you know, got on my radar with the success of of the orchestra version, which we will hear at some point on this podcast, um, which just blew my mind watching a band play with an orchestra for the first time, um, especially to this song. But um, I I love this song. Like, I can remember where I was, like, wa watching that video on MTV. Um but the live version, I also adore. And I've heard, I've heard them play it live, heard them sing it live. It's a great, great song. It's like one of the, one of the great ballads of all time. Should, all right. Do you think that we should explain what a 45 is for our, our fans that maybe aren't familiar with older records? Oh, good call. We should maybe do that, yeah. Go ahead, Scott. So for a while in the 90s, we had these really cool things called single cassettes where you would have one song on one side, you flip it over, there's a different song on the other side. So you would have like a hit and a B-side. Uh, 45s were kind of the same thing. Sometimes what the record companies would do is they would have the album, but they would hold one song back just so they could release it as a single and get more sales with a B-track a B from the album on the flip side. So they were a little bit smaller. They were about seven inches as opposed to the 12-inch LP. And you had to have a little disc to put in the middle of the 45 so that it would actually play because they came with a hole that was way too big for some reason that I'll never understand. And what was that little disc called? Does anybody know? I knew it at one point. It's a name that made no sense, if I remember right, like just something completely unrelated. Uh, was it a spindle? It might have been a spindle. Or a oh. spider? Well, I know that after a while, they started just filling that in and just having like the LP size hole so that you didn't need that. At least some record companies were doing that. I know... Uh... Old Hansoff, he's listening. He's going to have to tell us on Twitter what that thing is called because I don't remember offhand. Uh, I, I, I have uh, a little bit of trivia for you. Okay. If Aerosmith didn't add Dream On to the first Aerosmith album, we would not be on this podcast tonight. Um, Dream On saved Aerosmith as a band because their first album sold so, so poorly, mainly because Columbia Records... I'm pulling this off of the Song Facts website, but mainly uh, Columbia Records um, didn't promote the album because Bruce Springsteen, they released the Bruce Springsteen album the week before, and they were so hyper-focused on that, they didn't promote this album. 
So, so um, Aerosmith, Aerosmith um, I think it's, it was their management convinced Columbia to release this as a sing, single. And it, and it, it reached 59 on the U.S. charts. And that's what would cut them to be profitable enough to, to warrant more albums. Very interesting. Uh, so far, the only thing I've call, uh, I've seen is it is called an, a 45 adapter, which okay. seems really anticlimactic. It should have a better name than that. There is a better name. Old hands off, you're listening. Please let us know. But before we play the song, guys, how many times do we think Dream On was performed by Aerosmith? Spoiler alert, it's a lot. John Mariano, let's start with you. 925. 925. All right, Scott Haskin. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a thousand fifty. One thousand six hundred and fifty-eight times, according to Setlist.fm, Aerosmith has played this song. I would imagine uh, the only times that they didn't play it were before it was released. Yeah, but that was a. It's on their first album, so they probably didn't play much before it was released <laughs> as Aerosmith. Yeah. Right? Anyway, according to Setlist.fm. They played it for the first time April 14th, 1973 at Millis High School in Millis, Massachusetts. And the last time they played it was November 29th, uh, 2022 at the uh, Dolby Live at Park MGM, Las Vegas, Nevada during their residency. Was that was that show their first show? Because I thought they were, they were around before 73. Well, let's see. That's probably as far back as the website goes. Yeah. And, and that, that could be. very well be, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you say? Let's spend a little dream on. We're going to go all the way back to Louisville, Kentucky, July 3rd, 1977. And live bootleg. This is Dream On. not to hear piano at the beginning there it was that was joe on guitar was it not or, or brad one of the two but all i heard was a guitar there anybody pick up any piano on that one i didn't hear any and um it was a little bit choppy um that guitar solo just kind of seemed to stop and then come back in that felt a little weird but i like the part i, I like the rearrangement of it it feels really good well and one of the uh, conceits of live bootleg was we wanted to sound like a live bootleg so they didn't go in and, and touch up anything that might have been a sex like you said uh, it kind of sounds like he kind of stopped you know maybe mishit something or you know some little mistake happened during the performance of that but they left it in which i i actually kind of dig uh i, I don't want to i don't need to hear perfection from a live cut uh if you want to put in a little color like that that's fine but nowadays whenever you see uh, dream on it starts with steven tyler on a piano and mm -hmm. uh it was just kind of surprising that uh, way back in 1977 uh they did the intro on guitar yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I was digging around that, that that website, and Joe Perry 
was not a fan of the song when it first came out because you made your bones back then playing fat, fast songs, playing loud songs. And he even said, your 1973 might not be that far off, Corey, because he didn't play it very often live early because it's a very slow, slow song. And even hearing how it opens here, it feels to me as as they get deeper into their career and they start getting higher production, bringing the piano into it. I like what they do here, but I love what they do later on when they start bringing the piano and stuff into it. Um, it's a, it's a it's a, it's a different element. It's a different song with that. Um, it, it it I almost feel like it needs it. Yeah, it definitely has a different feel to it. Um, and if you uh, if you were to get this on forty five, you might need to use a spider. It was a introduced spider. by the RCA Corporation <laughs> to play it. I, I knew it. <laughs> it was spindle or spider. It was one of the two. Save your hate mail, people. <laughs> Boy, doesn't Steven sound great right now? Just nice and gritty and uh, just really like he's singing from his heart. And that's the one thing that's missing from the studio version because he's singing in, in that in that kind of he's trying to sound like a blues guy on that first album and he's singing in a different voice mm -hmm. and it, you know it really takes away from that album for me but when you hear these songs those songs from the first album done live they really come to life and i can't agree more i think he sounds fantastic on this did they ever re-record this after his voice changed well and he it didn't really change he did that intentionally Right, uh, I but I mean, know. did did they ever like re-record a studio version after he went to the style of singing? I don't think so. A studio no, version, I no. I, I believe that anything else is is live that you'll yeah, hear. Okay. But it's all it's funny because the original version, like I love a lot of things about how it's produced. Um, I love the, I love the you know the the instruments on it a lot. This version though is giving me the Steven Tyler voice I want to hear. Um, and it's so much more soulful with this voice. All right. Uh, I think I might have to find a new lyric site because that line is that you've got to lose to know. And they wrote, you've got the blues to know which makes considerably less sense. <laughs> Misheardlyrics.com. Yeah. Uh, but while we're, while we're away from the song, I'd just like to point out how great the bass guitar sounds on this version. It's really prominent in the mix. Um, maybe a little too prominent because I think it's kind of burying the guitars just a little, but I love the sound of it. It's definitely prominent, but I don't know that I feel like it's too prominent because since I'm missing that piano here, 
I think having the base more up front is, is filling some of that for me. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I was reading that they did introduce the piano um, into their live shows to give Steven a little bit of a break from running around so much. So so it, pro- it probably makes sense um, as they got older to bring the piano in and be like, hey, dude, just like take t- take a deep breath. Sit, sit down behind this thing for, for, for about five minutes. Um, you know, and I have to wonder if it was a, a full acoustic piano, because when I saw Emerson, Lake and Palmer play um, back in the, what, the late 90s, uh, it, he uh, Keith Emerson had a full grand piano out on stage, but there was nothing in it. It was the frame of a piano and an Elisa's QS8 keyboard no was was inside of it because the because them traveling around carrying the weight of a piano versus the shell of a piano would be a big difference and much less cost prohibitive. Holy crap, you learn something new every time. And when I saw Aerosmith at the Minot State Fair, I'm watching this grand piano come from uh, you know, uh, beneath the stage, they have like a trap door uh, at the end of the uh, thrust and the piano comes up and I'm thinking, geez, you got a hologram piano around on every show. It might've been a shell. Wow. It might've been. Scott, I, you're a genius. I just watched 75 year old Elton John wheel, wheeling a piano around the stage. Are you trying to tell me that that might've been an empty shell? Oh no. For Elton John, I would think that's a real damn piano. That's Elton yeah. John, sir. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's well known too that when you would see a wall of Marshall amplifiers, most of them had nothing in them. Right. To the point where I think Rush made fun of that on uh, their later tours where they had just washing machines. Uh, they had chicken rotisseries, uh, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We had another little uh, guitar kind of like a mispluck there a little bit. Uh, I really kind of like that. And even though Joe said we, you know, we're going for like a live bootleg kind of feel, I think the mix on this is pretty damn good. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I get the idea of it, but it, it's like whether it was a bootleg or not, the performance should be the same. You know, I, I wonder if they didn't throw a couple of extra little flubs in there to kind of play that up a little bit because they're they're better players than that. But I do like it. I, I do like that it's raw, that it's not corrected, um, that it really just kind of makes you feel like you're there as opposed to listening to a cleaned up or overdubbed live album, which you're like, yeah, this is kind of too perfect. You can't tell me that nobody made a single mistake all night. Well, this would have been like a later rocks tour, uh, I believe. Because uh, Draw the Line came out later in 1977, so the uh, band was pretty fucked up uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at yeah. this stage in their history. So, uh, you know, you get the odd mistake. Uh, it's understandable. Well, they're still playing a damn good version of this song so far if they're fucked up. Gotta love uh, all the things you do, motherfucker, as opposed to pretty mama. <laughs> what, what, what I what I love, and we give Stephen a lot of shit for like singing over guitar solos and stuff. This version of this song is why he's one of the great, great greatest um, vocalists of all time. Like you're hearing every bit of air he is filling 
to me is, is incredible in, in in this version. Um, and he's not overpowering what's going on around him, but he's complimenting it in such great ways. And even the way he threw the motherfucker in there and changed the tone of his white voice as he said it, um, it's, it, it's beautiful. I agree. I, I do give him a lot of, of shit. I will admit that. But I have to say, this is one of the best performances I've heard from him on all the live stuff that we've covered so far. And lyrically, going all the way back to 1973, uh, their first album, and he's coming up with passages like, half my life's in books written pages, live and learn from fools and from sages. You know it's true. All the things come back to you. That's a great verse. Killer. Do you know what the song's about? Uh, it's about uh, pickles. <laughs> Dill pickle chips? No. How about you, Scott? What's your guess? Yeah, I've never really paid enough attention to to the lyrics to even think about it. So it's, it's about um, all the shit and everything you have to push through as an artist at this point in your career. And Stephen was writing it from a young artist's point of view who had to eat a lot of shit on his way up the ladder and telling himself to dream on, to dream big. Right. And and, and it's almost almost like, like reassuring yourself. If you dream big, big things will come. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I, I, I was reading, that's the meaning of the song. Um, Steven said that in an interview at some point. And, and uh, I, I never had really thought about it, but if you look at the lyrics, it really starts to paint that picture. Yeah, I can see that. Dream until your dreams come true. I've heard that section done better in later performances, but I wanted to get Scott's take uh, on that solo section there. Yeah, that was a little rough. Um, I I, I like the part where you could tell he turned his reverb pedal on because all (laughs) of a sudden he was about a hundred feet away. Uh, But I like, I like that little uh, sound that we heard from Steven Tyler going into it, where it was like he, he'd pulled the mic away from his mouth and he was in the distance. And then the guitar went in the distance just after that. That was kind of a nice uh, a nice partnership, but uh, yeah, that was a little rough. I I would imagine that's been done better, but I like the I like some of the ideas in there. It, 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 it's definitely there, there is a perfect version of the song, and I won't spoil it, but but, but we've all heard it before, um, and, and we'll get to it at some point. I like some of the imperfections here. Um, I'm definitely missing the piano on this version, though. In, in the version you're talking about, I'm going to guess has a piano and maybe some other uh, instruments. It might Where even have a band? triangle in there at some point. Ooh.
I want to put in a request because this is, I love this part. I love this part sung by Steven. But I just found out there is an Aerosmith tribute, not the same old song and dance released in 1999. And Ronnie James Dio sings this song with Ing- Ingve playing guitar on it. I kind of wow. want to hear that version. I kind of want to hear that too. That'd be interesting. I didn't even know this thing existed. I'm looking at the track listing now. You got like Mark Slaughter doing Back in the Saddle, Ted Nugent on Ragdoll, Vince Neil doing Chip Away at the Stone, Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw doing Sweet Emotion. Oh my God. Why don't I have this on vinyl? What the fuck is this? Stephen Percy from Rat doing Toys in the Attic? Oh, wow. This sounds like a treasure trove. Great find, John. Greg Bissonette played drums on Dream On with uh, Ronnie James Dio and Yngwie Malmsteen. Hmm. Oh, man, I'm going to try and look that up as soon as this version's done. That's amazing. I didn't know that Ronnie and and, uh, Yngwie ever did anything together, so that's pretty fascinating. Ronnie James Dio, Yngwie Malmsteen, Stu Hamm, Greg Bissonette, and Paul Taylor. Hmm. All right, now I've got to try and fucking find that. Let's keep listening to Dream On while you look it up. It's amazing because very few times over a career of a vocalist do they get better at the screaming as they get older. And I promise you, about 10 to 12, maybe maybe 15 years after the release of this version of this song, Stephen gets better with those screeches. They, they get cleaner, they get tighter, and they get higher somehow. And like, I'm not even kidding. Like you guys, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's like, as good as that is, it's amazing to me that as he gets older, he gets stronger as a performer. Well, yeah, but in, in this case too, I mean, certain substances may have have dulled his abilities at certain points and then he gets better and then he's not as good. And then he gets better and isn't as good. Scott, I'm, I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Are you telling me that substances weren't involved with that band? Never. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys could see the look Um, that John shot me while I was saying that, (laughs) I I wish I would have screen grabbed it. There, there are so many bands I can think of and performers I can think of and what they were on. And and like like for instance, Guns N' Roses is much cleaner and soberer now mm. than they were when they were performing. And I gotta I gotta I gotta take the drugged up Guns N' Roses from the heyday um, over today. Um, so while I, I I would love to agree with your with with your reasoning, I don't know that's the case. I'll t- I'll accept that. What I'll also accept is there's two really cool parts about this section of the song 
that especially live, you could just go off and do all kinds of things. Whether you're ending with the line, dream until your dreams come true, and then they play that instrumental section and you could do you know, a different drum fill and then you go into the next part, uh, which is the dream on, dream on. And then that part plays, that instrumental part plays after that and you can go into a cool drum fill. You could keep that going all night and just change it up every time and make it interesting. I love songs that really translate well to the stage. And I think this is one of the greats. If I could cherry pick doing a Super Bowl halftime show and like fixing it or whatever, I would have had Aerosmith when they did the Super Bowl halftime show get to that drum fill. And you know how they bring guests out? Not finish the song, but bring out Soundgarden and start playing Spoon Man during the drum fill <laughs> and go right into the all of Spoon Man and then come back and finish Dream On. There you go. That'd be interesting. Well, Corey, you're you're a drummer. What do you think about, you know, if you were behind the kit on a song like this, you could come up with a different fill for every pass. Oh, uh, without a doubt. Uh, you want those drums to be as shimmery as possible, as uh, John taught me. Uh, the, the proper uh, terminology, they have to be shiny uh, and shimmery. Uh, so, yeah, without a doubt. I, I'm sure you guys were talking about something. I wasn't listening. I was looking more into this fucking uh, tribute album at, at the lineup. Jesus Christ, can we do an entire show just on this album? Like the first yeah. track is is Back in the Saddle as performed by Mark Slaughter, Albert Lee, Rudy Sarzo and Frankie Benali. Like come on, like half wow. a quiet riot with Albert Lee and Mark Slaughter do it back in the saddle? Like I I'm 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 rigid right now. I I can't believe this thing existed. I had no fucking idea. No, that's uh yeah, we could do a show on that. Or a couple of shows if we if we needed to break it. Because I have a feeling there's a lot to dig into in those songs. You know what? A, a Jack Blades, Tommy Shaw, Mike Inez, Randy Castillo version of Sweet Emotion intrigues the hell out of me. Or yeah, Fee Wade Bill, Steve Lukather, Tim Boggart, and Tommy Aldridge doing Walk This Way. I guarantee you there's a lot of double bass drumming on that song. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> We've got a little Edgar Winter. Listen to this. Same old song and dance. Jack Russell from Great White, Jeff Baxter, Jeff Pilsen, Bobby Blotzer, and Edgar Wright. Hmm. It's crazy. This is a very, very good find, I have to say. I, I'm really curious to hear this. And it's on Apple Music. So when we finish uh, Dream On, uh, which is, like you said, one of the most iconic live songs of all time. Uh, I, I'm going to bring up the Ronnie James Dio Ingve Malstein version. Oh, All right, that's a dream on from Live Boo. Like I was missing the gong at the end. We 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 sometimes get a gong uh, on the, on that final uh, uh, kind of hit. Wasn't there on this one, but you know what? I, I'm going to kick off the voting here. We have open spots uh, on the uh, live tracks version of the mixtape. My God, who the hell is going to downvote Dream On? I don't care what version. Uh, it, it's going on something, right? 
So I'm voting Dream On. Absolutely, this version belongs on live tracks, and the only way it leaves is if we find a better version of Dream On. John? Yeah, about, about a live version of Dream On that doesn't find its way onto a different side of the mixtape. I have a feeling that this mixtape's going to carry at least two versions of this song, as it should. Wow, that's bold. That's very bold. I mean, yeah, obviously it's got to go on there. There's there's no way this song does not end up. One version or, or other has to be on this mixtape to represent Aerosmith. All right, so now we have eight tracks on side B, the live tracks portion of the mixtape. They are Sweet Emotion from A Little South of Sanity, Mother Popcorn from Live Bootleg, What It Takes from A Little South of Sanity, Lord of the Thighs from Live Bootleg, Toys in the Attic from Classics Live 2, Kings and Queens from Classics Live 1, Train Kept a Rollin' from Classics Live 1, and joining the mixtape this week, Dream On from Live Bootleg. But what do you say? I found the version of Dream On with Ronnie James Dio, Ingve Malstein, Greg Bissonette, and company. Let's give it a quick listen here. God, this is magical. Uh, aside from Ingve jerking off all over the intro to the song, like Dio sounds fucking great. I'm going to shuttle forward a little bit here. What do you guys think of that? Well, I mean, you can't get away without some Ingve DNA all over you anytime <laughs> that you listen to anything <laughs> he does. But uh, yeah, and, and I like it. I like his first couple albums a lot. I, I did reviews of them on my show, but he is very much, um, hey, look what I can do kind of guy. Um, I, you know, he's, he's, he's too flashy for my taste, but I like the songs on his first couple albums. When you've got a singer like Ronnie James Dio, you want to start hearing Ronnie James Dio as quickly as possible. And I feel that if we would have had another 30 seconds that we would have allowed Ingve to play, he would have, <laughs> you know, you got to get to Ronnie as quick as possible. I have no problem with Ronnie playing, even on this song where, it's probably a mismatch to have him playing guitar on this particular song. Um, it's kind of a wonderful tree. It's um, it's interesting listening to their two styles try to mesh together. Um, God, Ronnie's so fucking good, though. So nice good. Man. Absolutely. Sages, you know it's true. 
I feel like most singers would be breaking a sweat or exhausted with the range of notes that Dio is hitting here. And I feel like he's kind of doing it so effortlessly, like he's barely he's he's barely stretching before he goes out to play. He's running laps backwards around people that that, that are that, that are sprinting hard to keep up. It's amazing. Not even trying, not even trying, right? Just just doing his thing. And there's Ingve showing the world. I know all the notes. Look, here they all are. Yeah, you know, and and I think in a section like this that we just heard, when you're playing those filler spots, it's okay to play that way. At the beginning, when the song is like dramatic and drawn out, and then you've got a vocal that's going to come in soft and slow, it's just so overplaying that part that it doesn't work for me. But here in a spot like this, like where you've got the very controlled drum fills, by the way, by Greg Bissonette, because it's so tempting to overplay the song. Uh, but very controlled, very tasteful. I think it's okay in a spot like that, but uh, it it just it dries up quickly for me. There's only so much of that I can take. Greg Bissonette, I'm glad you called him out. One of my favorite all-time drummers. I love Greg Bissonette, and I'm worried for him because he's currently the drummer for Spinal Tap, and they don't have a good history with drummers. Uh, I'm hoping not. Greg pulls through. Uh, you can do it, Greg, but man, oh, and the drums sound great on this. Great production on this, produced by Bob Kulik. Fantastic job, Bob. It almost sounds live. Yeah, it really does. surprised he was so restrained there this is the part of the song that fell flat for me i had such high expectations for what this was going to be and i'm like oh what just happened and it's 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 not like i i know what it could be you guys know what it could be and it wasn't it it was interesting i mean he inverted it instead of going dream on it was dream on and that's different, but boy, this is the power part. You know, you really got to punch it here. Uh, so I, I didn't necessarily like that stylistic choice, but what I did like was these fills that we're hearing. This is exactly the kind of stuff I was talking about where you could really take fills like that, dramatic, calculated, very careful precision fills, and just keep the song going for a, a good three or four extra minutes on stage. And Greg is nailing it here.
you got to do a show on this album. My God. Uh, I'm looking at uh, No Surprise, one of my favorite uh, Aerosmith deep cuts. Janie Lane from Ward, Chris Holmes, Adrian Perry, and Stephen Riley. Mm. That's good shit. That was a haunting ending. It just yeah. it just seemed like more haunting than the studio version. But I, I wanted you to get more Dio at the end, right? Like like John yeah. said, like you have that big power portion that you know that's where Ronnie really could fucking let go, right? And and really let loose, and he kind of went the other direction. A little mm-hmm. disappointed in, in that regard, but uh, overall, a little bit we heard here, uh, I thought it was a great cover. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, David Stone, who played keyboards on the Long Live Rock and Roll album with Ronnie, uh, I'm in a band with him now. And when I interviewed him before I joined the band, uh, he had nothing but the greatest things to say about Ronnie, not just as a singer, but as a person, the way that he treated David, the way that he treated the fans, um, just, you know, somebody that you you definitely want to get to know and hang around with because he was a pretty amazing guy. I, I'm really bummed I never got the chance to meet him. All right. So you got a little bonus dream on here tonight, folks, uh, from the likes of Ronnie James Dio, Ingve Malstein, Stu Ham, Greg Bissonette, and Paul Taylor. Uh, John, let's wrap this sucker up. Anything you want to plug? Any last words on Dream On? You want to talk about mixtapes? You want to talk about Dio? Did you get to meet him? Are you in a band with anybody currently? I I, I did not. You know, you know who I have met? What well, sort of met? I met him. I met him on my computer once. Um, I'm I'm reading these books. I got these books in the mail today. Ooh. Um, it's it's this guy, um, Scott Scott Kahaskins. Right. You know Scott. Scott, Scott I, I've heard of him. He 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 writes a lot of erotic fan fiction, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does. He writes. He's, he wrote these three erotic books, um, called the Universal Court Book One, Book Two, and Book Three. Um, and I'm I'm currently about to start reading them, but they came in the mail today, so I got to sit and make time, um, and, and and read, which is not my first language, but I will I will do my best. Um, I will at least read the back covers first. Because um, I like to read the ends before I read the read the rest of it. I got that from Billy Crystal in the movie once, um, but I, I recommend everybody goes to the Amazon and and gets these books. You can find off all the anacondas you need on that website, and you just look up Universal Court and um, Scott K. Hoskin and get yourself some books today. Now he wrote some books about uh, Las Vegas too, didn't he? Uh, help me out. Yeah, here. I think there yeah, was a trilogy these... of books there too. I, I I have these books right here, as a matter of fact, Corey, right next to me. And it's Scott K. Haskin. What happened in Vegas? Scott K. Haskin. What happened in Vegas? Part deuce. And it's got it's got a a two of spades on, on the cover. It's Scott K. Haskin. What happened in Vegas? Three of a kind, and it's three aces. And it is um, it is a trilogy of books about Vegas. You get those on the see. Amazon as well, John. I believe I did. I, re- I believe I did. I, I I know the author though, so I I have some benefits that other people might not have. Um, in 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 knowing the author, I still got them in the mail, and I highly recommend you you buy yourself some Scott K. Haskin books immediately. Um, and load your library up at home or at least your coffee tables. I'm not even asking you to read them. Just buy them and put them on your coffee tables and pretend you read them. 
That's what right. I intend to do. I'm never going to read them, but I'm going to have my, I even bought one on being a film composer uh, from the same author. I, I'm not musical, musically inclined in any way. Uh, I, I can't carry a tune and I can't write anything, but I'm going to read that book because it sure sounded interesting. And I like the author, but these Vegas books, I think are going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, I ordered the same books as you did, John, because you recommended them. Uh, Customs currently in, in British Columbia uh, has my books uh, and they're inspecting them as we speak. I'm hoping they will release them sometime this week and I can maybe get these books next week. Corey, you, you know what you know what trick I try when, when I want to look smart and I have company coming over? Mm-hmm. I get my books that make me look really smart and I'll either sit myself in front of my bookshelf or I'll lay a bunch on a coffee table or I'll throw one on the couch as if I was just reading it when they walked in. So having books is really important in your house to make you look smart. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm totally going to do that with these books because anyone sees these books, they're going to think, wow, this guy knows his stuff because he's reading such an accomplished author. Uh, I got to admit too, I even bought an extra set of books of the Universal Court series to put in my local library because I feel like uh, where I live here in Canada, we're not cultured enough. Uh, and, and we need the important work of Scott Kahaskin uh, to, to help uh, you know get us out of the me- medieval times. And uh, the, these books will help us do that. Uh, Scott, uh, do you got anything you want to promote? I know you don't have much going on. I know you're unemployed. Uh, you don't really podcast. Uh, you, you just kind of lay around like a lump. Is there anything you want to talk about before we call it a night? Well, I kind of feel like I've already dominated this show with all that kind of promotion that you guys just gave me. Thank you very much. I, I hope from the bottom of my heart that you enjoy the books as much as you just boasted. Uh, yeah, other than that, uh, let's see. Uh, my new album, The Shattered Room, is out and uh, available all over the place. Uh, I don't know if it'll be on Amazon or iTunes by the time this comes out, because I don't have any control over that, but it should, Uh, as well as my two podcasts, Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast that I mentioned earlier on the Deep Dive Podcast Network and the Haskincast Podcast as well. All that can be found on my website, as well as links to the books and all the other things at scotthaskin.com. I even have a page for this very show. That's right. You can go uh, check out uh, back episodes of Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. This is show 54. Uh, Got a ways to go, but we're having a lot of fun doing it. So uh, please go back, check out the back catalog. Uh, Go check out Scott Haskins' books and go bug John on social media just because he's a really cool guy and he'd love to chat with you. Uh, You can find him at John Marioni uh, on Twitter. Uh, You can find Scott uh, somewhere. He's not on Twitter anymore, so he's kind of dead to me. You can find he's me on Instagram. Go find him on the Instagram. Oh, okay. Harass Scott on Instagram. <laughs> Does he post pictures of anything, John? Nudes. Oh, there you go. You want some nudes? Uh, check out uh, Scott Haskin on Instagram. Uh, you can check me out on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Matt C.D. Morissette, if you're so inclined. But until uh, next time, on behalf hey, of Scott. That could be anybody's ass. <laughs> no, it can't. It's way too pimply. <laughs> But on behalf of the pimple-ass Scott Haskin and John Mariano, my name is Corey Marsa. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Steven Tyler. (laughs) 